So, Kaleo, first week, called to care, compassion. Again, if you haven't had a chance yet, you've got to read some of these. These are just incredible responses by you guys. Called to generosity. In fact, we should make this a 20-week series, and then we'll just have, like, no more room to put all the bands. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, called to serve. Pastor Randy's over there reading them. Randy, it's actually, you get to read them after the service. Um, and then today, can anybody see that? It's, let's say it together. Called to make disciples. Called to make disciples. If you remember, Jesus died, but then he rose again, praise the Lord, and then he ascended. But before he ascended to heaven, he gathered with himself the 11 remaining disciples up to the mountain, and he issued what we know as the Great Commission. His final words, one of the most important life assignments that we are called to as believers. If you're taking notes, and I hope that you are this morning, uh, you will need to understand these last words that he tells us we are called to make disciples. If you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? You are called to make disciples. That's what he said. Matthew 28, 19, 20. He says, therefore, go and do what? He says, therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He says, therefore, go, go. The, the Greek word that's translated as go is for you am I. And this means, if you're taking notes again, it means to travel, to depart, to go, to take a journey. It, it very literally means as you go or as you do life. So as you are following Jesus, as you go about your life, you are to make disciples. And this is important for us to understand because a lot of people think, my shoe's untied. Dan, you know you're supposed to double knot. My mom's here even. She's like, I taught you better than that. But see, a lot of us, we kind of feel like we got to go somewhere, right? You got to go overseas to make Disciples, And actually, yes, you do. <laughs> That's actually a big part of it. And hopefully you're going to want to do that. We're doing that as a church as part of our call as Christians to reach all the nations. But very literally, this teaching of Jesus is as you do life, as you go, make disciples. So here's a call. It's a call. Go make disciples. Now you might say, what is a disciple? All right. What does it mean to be a disciple? Sometimes we just define disciple as a believer, right? But, but I want us to understand that the disciple is more than just a convert. A disciple is much more than just a church member. A disciple is much more than someone who just has the T-shirt or the cool bumper sticker on the back of the car. By the way, listen to this. We actually have the cool bumper sticker that goes on the back of your car. Marcy Mayer made these. Uh, they say Lifespring on them. We'll have them back uh, at the Welcome Center for uh, any donation that you'd like to give. And... Uh, Put it on there. Though I would say if you drive like a bat out of hell or you cut off people on the freeway, please do not put this on your car. Life spring. Mm. But a disciple is much more than a church member. If you're, if you're taking notes, a disciple, and some of you know this, but a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil. It's an ad, he is a, or she is an adherent, a follower. The early believers, they were 
called disciples because they followed Jesus. A disciple, they would follow their rabbi or their master and, and they would adhere to the teachings of the rabbi, right? I want to be like you. So the early believers, they were followers of Jesus. We studied Elijah earlier this year. And if you remember, Elijah stuck pretty close to another guy. What was his name? Elijah. I want to be just like you. I want a double portion of what you have. Or think of Naomi and Ruth. Ruth is like, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Or look at the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul more of a father figure. Timothy more of a son. It's this attitude of, I want to be under your teaching. I want to memorize what you have to say. I want to be like you. I want to live my life like you. That I would follow so close behind you that I would get dirty from the dust of your sandals. I am going to follow you. Be your disciple. And Jesus has called us to be disciples who make disciples. We have this great commission from Jesus to make disciples. You can't ignore it. If you are a disciple of Jesus, part of your assignment on this earth is to make disciples. It's part of God's calling on your life. So that means you, you, every one of us in this room who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you. It means you sharing Jesus with others, sharing the love of God with some people, maybe even people that you don't know, maybe even people that don't know Jesus. It means you go make disciples. You've been called to this. Maybe you're a bank teller or a barista. Go make disciples. As a high school student, you've got to be looking for people that you can make into disciples of Jesus Christ. As a stay-at-home mom, you are discipling who? Your kids. But you're also discipling those other moms, right, who come over and bring their kids over for a play date. As a coach, I've seen this one. You are discipling other coaches and those athletes. It's just as you do life, you make disciples. I'll give you an example. I was the assistant boys basketball coach at Auburn Riverside when I got out of high school. And one of the guys I coached, he reached out to me last year, 13 years later. 13 years later. I hadn't talked to, seen this guy for 13 years. And he asked me if I wanted to play some tennis. I was like, yeah, you bet. So we went over to his house. We played. We had some fun. We were trying to hit the tennis balls back and forth. And I just began to ask a bunch of questions about his life, right? How's the job going? How's the wife? How's, how's your baby? And he just started opening up, started sharing, sharing life with me. And he was sharing it all, right? The good, the bad, some of the ugly. And by the time we were done, I was able to invite him to our Thursday men's group because it's a pretty awesome group. And I, I felt like he would enjoy being there and, and, and hearing about the Lord and seeing other Christian men trying to walk through this struggle we called life. And he actually came and he started coming and he actually really enjoyed it and started embracing it and started sharing. And he's like ministering to me in just these profound ways. And I got to be honest, he's still in process. Very much so. He's investigating the things of God and Jesus. And one day he's going to be here on a Sunday morning. Right now his job, he, he works for Alaska Airlines. He has to work on Sunday mornings. But that day's going to come. But even this week, he texted me on Tuesday. He goes, I was mowing the lawn and I was listening to my Dan Bursch uh, station on Pandora. And I just love that. Because that's a part of this discipleship making process. It's just as you go through life, you share Jesus with those around you. The reality is, though, and it's sad, but in many Christian churches, especially in America, believers just are not making disciples. And instead, they've kind of left it up to organized religion, right? Uh, you just kind of accept this model of where you go to church, you do this whole church thing, and then you go and you live your life. But we, we so quickly forget, you don't go to church, you are the church. You, you are 
the church. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's what Paul calls you. And so you should be going out, telling the world about Jesus, discipling other people. So no one's off the hook. No one in this room is off the hook. If you believe in Jesus, you should be discipling. And yet many people in the American church, they simply are not. And and this lack of discipleship, I I believe it comes down to two main misconceptions about discipling. First one, again, if you're taking notes, is this. And many of you probably feel this way. It's that you feel like I'm not ready to disciple someone. Right? I'm not ready to disciple someone. I'm I'm simply not ready. I I don't want to teach a Bible study. How could I lead a prayer group? How could I teach someone from the Bible when I don't myself even really understand it all? A lot of people feel this way. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not engaging enough, funny enough, whatever it is. I'm not whatever enough to do this. And this morning, I, I really hope to reframe your thinking about that, about what it truly means to make a disciple or, or to disciple somebody. Because this feeling of not being ready, it comes from the idea that discipleship can only happen through leading a class or through leading a Bible study or teaching someone in a prayer group. And and certainly discipleship happens in those types of meetings. Absolutely. We do that a lot here at the church, but it's not limited. Listen to this. It's not limited to that class or to that Bible study. See, most discipling I, I found in my life, most discipling just happens as we do life together. As we as I hang out with the worship team, I I, I feel that I experience that. And we're actually applying biblical principles to each other's lives. Now, they need to be biblical principles. Otherwise, you're making the wrong kind of disciples. And that can happen as well. But it could be as simple as maybe you're just working with a married couple, right? They're struggling and and you say, hey, here's some ways that I've found that you can honor God better in your marriage. You just share. Or maybe you're helping someone who doesn't understand money and you go, you know, here's some godly principles about how to better manage your money. Or maybe you're talking to a parent and you could say, you know, here's what I've learned from the Bible about being a parent. Maybe you can do some of this. It could be praying. This happens a lot, right? Where you're just praying and you allow someone else to hear how you pray. Have you ever been in that experience? Maybe they're just terrified to pray out loud, but they're hearing you pray out loud. So you are teaching them. It's just as you go, you make disciples. But even as I say that, I know many of us in this room, we just feel unprepared, unqualified to make disciples. So this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to ask some questions. And if you would typically say, yes, that's true of me with the question, just raise your hand up high and then go ahead and put it down. So the first question would be this. You're married. Yes, you don't have a perfect marriage, but it's founded on Christ. You both are becoming more like Christ. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? All right, put them down. How many of you would say at the workplace or at school, for the most part, in your surroundings, in your environment, they know that you're a Christian? If that's you, raise your hand. All right. How many of you have a basic understanding of prayer, right? You know how to pray. God often answers your prayers. Anybody? All right, put them down. How many of you have a pretty good understanding of the Bible? You, can't, you don't know everything, but you know your way around the Bible. That's it. Put your hand down. How many of you would say, well, I'm a parent and our kids, uh, they aren't perfect. In fact, we've made some mistakes, but we've made enough mistakes to probably help someone else from making those same mistakes. If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right, put them down. <laughs> How many of you would say, you know, financially, I haven't always made good decisions, but I understand that the borrower is slave to the lender. We've overcome a lot of debt. We're working our way out of debt. And because of that, we are more generous. We have some margin and we're learning how to use our money for the kingdom of God. If that's you, raise your hand. All right, put them down. How many of you have been hurt extremely bad by somebody, been betrayed royally, and by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have learned how to supernaturally forgive something that everyone around you said was unforgivable? If that's you, raise your hand. Absolutely. Put it down. How many of you are believers in Jesus Christ? You are disciples of Jesus. How many of you are disciples who are around non-believers in your life? If that's you, raise your hand. All right, put them down. Now, if you raise your hand for any of the things that I just said, would you please stand up? That's right. Stand up. 
Stand up. Now, I just want to talk to those of you who are standing for just a moment. I want to say this very directly to you. You are called to make disciples. You're not off the hook. I want you to feel it. Embrace it. Believe it. You are called. You are empowered. You are equipped by God to make disciples. You have a word from God. You have a destiny from God. You are called to make disciples. Remain standing for a second. I really want you guys to feel this. I know it's awkward, but just stay standing. You're like, I haven't felt this awkward since I had to get married. But... That was so awkward, just standing there. Like... There are people that God has put in your life that you were meant to disciple. It's not somebody else's job. That God has placed you. He was creative in his thinking. He was a genius in his ideas. That he thought, I'm going to use you to disciple somebody. Now, if you're a little bit older here this morning, if you're a little more mature here, I'm talking to you. This church is full of people who need you. If you're an older woman here, more mature woman, we need you to disciple and train the younger women. Titus says that the older women should train the younger women. We have so many younger women who need a godly woman to model them, to, to model life for them, to disciple them. Men, we've got men who are trapped in materialism, who are trapped and stuck with lustful desires, and they need older men who have overcome those desires to speak into their lives. If you're standing here, some of you should be mentoring teens. Others of you should be investing in the lives of children. You are called to make disciples as you go, as you live this life, to make disciples. I want you to feel it. I want you to believe it. I want you to become it. Embrace it. Live it. You are called. Go ahead and take a seat. I hope you embrace that. You've been called. But, but I don't know enough. That's a lie. The Lord has prepared in advance good works for you to do. He's given you everything you need to live this godly life. All right, second misconception about discipling. If you're taking notes, there's a lot of people that feel like, well, I don't need someone to disciple me. Some people just don't see the benefit, right? I just don't need someone to disciple me. Some of us are just too proud, right? You know what? I'm not going to have somebody else tell me what to do. Do you know the business that I run? Do you know the organization that I'm the head of? Do you know that I am the head of my family? I'm not going to let anybody else tell me what to do. I'm good enough as it is. If you feel this way, I, I just say, you're missing out. You're missing out. I would argue this. And I want you to hear this. This is important. I want you to hear this. The better that you are at something or the better that you hope to be, the more specialized help that you actually should be seeking. I want to say that again. The better that you are or the better that you hope to be at something, the more specialized help you should be seeking. You're never beyond help. Take sports, for example. I love sports. Sports is the perfect example of this. Football. You got kindergarten flag football players. You got about 15, 20 of them running around. And you got one coach, right? I'm going to tie the other shoe because I haven't tied that one yet. And it just came untied. We're going barefoot next week. Did someone say flip flops? I'm not wearing flip flops. No way. Gross. 
feet. Feet. Who likes feet? So you're in, you're in the little, you're little the flag football, kindergarten, 15, 20 people. You got one coach. Well, then you go up to junior high. Jason, Dre, and I, we played junior high football together for two years. Um, he actually beat me out at quarterback. So way to go, bud. But, um, but then you got two coaches, right? We had the head coach and the assistant coach. Then you jump up to high school football and you got a little bit more, uh, more coaches. Then you go to college football and you got a whole lot of coaches in college football. And then you go to the pros. This is awesome. Like, this is crazy. But I looked up on the internet the list of Seahawks coaches. And listen to this. You have the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the wide receivers coach, the offensive line assistant head coach, the quality control quarterbacks coach, the head strength and conditioning, the offensive assistant, the quality control offense coach, the assistant strength and conditioning, the special teams assistant, the defensive line coach, the linebackers coach, the defensive assistant, the tight ends coach, the defensive coordinator, the secondary coach, the assistant offensive line coach, the special teams coach, the defense, this is a great one, the defensive passing game coordinator, another quarterbacks coach, a running backs coach, assistant special teams coach, assistant strength and conditioning coach, and finally you got the person get you out of trouble when you do stupid things, coach. So we, we have this long, yeah, it wasn't in there, but, <laughs> but you got all these different coaches and why? Because the players, they're better. And so they need specialized people speaking into their lives. So if you want to be the best dad, you need a spiritual leader, a spiritual father training you on how to become one. If you want to be a tremendous leader, you got to have people speaking into your life about spiritual leadership. I've got people in my life who mentor me in leadership. I have people who mentor me in the word of God. I have a man who's a counselor in my life who teaches me about life balance. I have a mentor in the area of managing money. Another one who helps me how to be a good dad. And for me, what I'd say is I've got a lot of Pauls speaking in my life. Remember Paul? I already mentioned it, but Paul, he was the spiritual father to Timothy. Paul was the father. Timothy was the son. And all y'all, you need a Paul. Look to the person next to you and say, you need a Paul. Yeah, you do. You need someone who is better. Humble yourself. (laughs) You need someone who is better, who can spiritually and practically disciple you to become like Jesus. You also need a Timothy. Someone that you can disciple. The best place I know where this can happen is in our life groups. Absolutely best place in our life groups. We have several, several of them at our church. We have official and non-official groups. And they are simply groups that meet in homes or in coffee shops. Before work or after work. Before school, after school. And in these groups we come together. And we intentionally do life together in a spiritual way. We open up God's word, we talk and we pray and we encourage and we disciple one another. In fact, if you're in a group like this, I would encourage you this week, do this. Just do a little experiment. Take a moment to pause and just begin to think about where you were three months ago and six months ago and a year ago. And I want you to celebrate. Celebrate the change that God has done in you, continues to do in you. And think about, think about this. Think about how much of the change that has happened is a direct result of you being discipled and you discipling one another. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, I I love that. You know, I get accused of having too many meetings and and I get that. But one of the reasons I love meeting with people during the week is because of this. Because in any group, there's going to be a good chance that I'm going to have moments of being a Paul, but also times where I'm going to be a Timothy, where I'm going to be learning from others. And it's so important for us and healthy for us to be engaged in life at this level where you are making disciples, but where you are also being discipled. 
I want you to receive that this morning. And, and with these two misconceptions of I'm not ready to disciple anyone, I don't need anyone to disciple me, I wanted to bring somebody up who uh, is a special person in the life of this church and a wonderful example of living the opposite of those two misconceptions, living this life of discipleship. She lives it out where she's allowed herself to be discipled, but she also disciples others. Would you please welcome to the stage Sandy Fair? Okay, good. Thank you for setting me up so well. I can't believe it. As I was preparing this week, I'm thinking, I don't know what he's going to say. He just asked me to share about uh, discipleship and some of the experiences that I've had with discipleship. And and so um, here I am. It's been a long time since I've been up sharing. So I'm a bit nervous and I might get my merds wixed, but um, I hope you, <laughs> hope you all uh, understand what I'm saying anyway. Um, so it, I have had this huge part of my life has been with discipleship and uh, since the tender age of 13 when I became a Christian. And so I have a ton of things to um, share with you. So if I'm going too long, please, you know, give me the cutoff sign and and I'll try to make it short. My first um, experience with discipleship was with a wonderful lady named Mary Alice. She was my discipler and my spiritual mama. She uh, had, all of her kids had been grown and even were out of the house, but she had still had time and opened up her heart to me. Um, After I became a Christian at 13, I had moved from the small town of Enumclaw to the big city of Des Moines. Well, I thought it was a big city anyway. There wasn't a cow around. So, and as confusing and out of place as I felt in that neighborhood, I was even more confused about who Jesus was and what it meant to be a Christian. I really didn't know how it all worked, and I especially did not know about the Bible, about the Lord, but the Lord knew that I would need someone to show me all about it. Mary Alice lived just two doors down. I can't really remember first meeting her, but it seemed like she was just in my life, like forever. Mary Alice loved the Lord so much that I was drawn to her. I wanted what she had. I was such a baby Christian with such a hunger for Jesus. She had Jesus and talked about Jesus, like all the time. Mary Alice's kitchen table was always open to me day and night. I remember many times being in my bedroom and reading my Bible and being so confused. It seemed like I was reading a different language. I mean, really, love your enemies? What's up with that? I didn't ma- it didn't matter what time it was. I'd run over to her house, all jumbled up and confused and frustrated. And very patiently, she would sit me at the kitchen table, and step by step, and word by word, she would start to explain things and unjumble all my confusion and frustration. At what time I couldn't figure out faith. See, I was not taught to pray, except at dinner time, and I surely was not taught how to pray, knowing that God actually could hear me. That concept was so far and above anything I could comprehend. So off to Mary Alice's house I went with my Bible, and she had me turn to Hebrews 11. Then she had me circle every time the word faith appeared. 28 times, by the way. Then she introduced me to the heroes of the faith. How Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and and all of them accomplished what they did. And it was all by faith. I was so amazed. Mary Alice went on to tell me that that same faith was in me, too. I just had to believe. 
Later, she prayed the gift of faith over me, and I was changed from that point on. I couldn't wait to tell others about it, too. Although we spent a lot of time at her table with the Bible open between us, Mary Alice was a living example. There was always an easy flow from talking and sharing and laughing and crying and praying. It was like Jesus was sitting with us all the time, and I believe he was. I would tag along with her just about anywhere. I'd show up at her door, and I'd go with her to the store or run in errands. I, would, I, would, I was her shadow, and she was my Jesus with skin on. At one time, I had gone to a retreat, and the theme of the retreat was about spiritual gifts. I had received my prayer language on the retreat, and after getting home, I dropped off all my stuff and ran st- directly over to Mary Alice's house. I was so excited to share about my new gift of speaking in tongues. I said, Mary Alice, guess what? And she was excited for me, and she said, let's practice and praise the Lord with your new gift. I was like, it blew me away that she could just so easily speak about tongues and so there we were in her kitchen with her arms raised up and just praising the lord and and practicing and so we practiced a lot all through junior high and high school i'm still amazed how the lord has always put women in my life who were a little bit older and a whole lot wiser even when my husband wayne and i left our families and mary alice and we moved to spokane after we had just gotten married and had a baby there was diana Diana showed me how to work hard at being a mom and wife and love every moment doing it. I learned from Diana how to make ends meet on a budget and very practical life lessons. Diana was an example of a Proverbs 31 woman. She was my example of a Wonder Woman. We never had a scheduled meeting together, but she was an amazing example of how to serve her family and honor her husband. It was a very needy time in my life, and she was so gracious and generous with her time. She loved my family as much as I loved hers. We spent a lot of time together just doing, doing life and loving Jesus. When we moved back from Spokane, the Lord again provided a woman a little bit older and a whole lot wiser than I. It was Joan. And like Diana, she was an example of a Proverbs 31 woman. Joan was also very no-nonsense and extremely honest with me. The Lord knew Joan was exactly the woman I needed during that time in my life. I was homeschooling four kids and put so much pressure on myself to be the perfect mother and wife that I was overwhelmed a lot of the time. That would lead to some pretty big pity parties. Joan was a really great listener, and she would listen to me whine and complain and give excuses and tell how tough my life was. Then she'd pat my hand, and without any comment, she'd look at me and say, you got a little smooch right there in your eye. You might just need to go wash your face. And I realized, yeah, you're right. I need to pull up my big girl panties and wash my face and believe that Jesus is bigger than anything I could be whining about. Joan really held my feet to the fire and loved me all the while doing it. For a while, like many of us, life gets hard, and there was a big desert time in my life. I, in that, during that time, I didn't have a discipler. There were some very hard years. Then a friend of mine said, you should meet Nancy. She's a prayer warrior, and she would love to pray with you. And when you're in the desert, and all you see is sand and more sand, I didn't really have the energy to start another journey with someone. So I let it go. Well, then Nancy called me. And she said, let's meet at McDonald's. I'd like to get to know you. And for some reason, I said, okay. The first meeting, I looked across the table at her, and I said, I do not want to talk to you about my messy life. I just want to talk about Jesus. 
I asked her to share with me what Jesus was doing in her life. What was Jesus speaking to her about? And as she began to talk about how much she loved the Lord and about what the Lord was teaching her and her husband week after week, I continued to meet with her at McDonald's, and during the summer we walked at the park. And I listened to her speak about Jesus, and it was a balm unto my soul. Nancy was helped me to walk out of that desert. She's helped me to hear from the Lord again, and now, after almost three years, we don't just talk about Jesus. We share our messy life together, and we pray together. Sometimes one of us will have a book we want to study, and we will study it together and encourage each other's walk. And sometimes we just talk and pray for one another. What's so great about meeting with Nancy is that I talk to her and hear myself tell her about all my, my frustrations and um, all the things that I, all my fears. And something from the time it is the thought in my head to hearing it with my own ears, it, it changes my perspective. Some, sometimes... When I hear, my, hear myself confess my frustrations and my fears, it's like those aren't so magnified anymore. When I vocalize it, they don't become so big. It's a miracle, and I just believe it's a God thing. It's, a priceless, it's priceless knowing there is someone who knows what you are going through and that you could call any time for prayer or just need a sounding board. Having someone share your life in a way you won't be judged or criticized. A couple of months ago, we met at McDonald's, and she was praying for me. She started to pray about a storm in my life. She prayed that I would find peace in the storm, and that as I go through the storm, I would know that God was in control. I was, and I was, as I was driving home afterward, I thought that was really odd that she was praying so fervently about this storm in my life because I think things were going pretty good at that time. So then a couple of days later is when Wayne was in the hospital, and then his knees gave out, and then his father his, you know, had a heart attack, and it was quite the storm. There was definitely a, a storm brewing. And I remembered her praying that, and I knew that God had directed her prayer and that day, that day, and that God knew all about what would happen, and his peace was over me, and God was so good. Through the journey of being discipled and being poured into by fantastic women of God, I've also had the honor of discipling and pouring others, pouring into others who are just a little bit younger and maybe a little bit younger in their faith. As Mary Alice was pouring into me all this knowledge about Jesus, I was so excited I had to share it. So I would bring my Bible to school, and all my friends um, would meet at lunchtime. And I would just say, hey, did you know i do not sure exactly what I was saying, but I know that Jesus showed up, and pretty soon there was a blooming revival at our school. We had kids passing around Bible verses in class, and our young life group was bigger than ever. Then, when a senior football player went into a coma after being in a motorcycle accident, accident we had a prayer vigil right at school. So many students came that they made us go across the street to a church. It was a miracle that the boy lived, and it was so inspiring when just a few weeks later we met again in the same sanctuary, and he came on crutches, and he was thanking us for praying for him and giving glory to God for his healing. It was pretty cool. I went to a huge youth group that had people from five different high schools. One of the girls heard about all the things that were happening at my school and wanted to pray with uh, me, wanted her to pray with her, so that, uh, that would ha- those same things would happen at her school. So we met every week before youth group and prayed faith prayers. Every time um, we were done praying, she would just believe, we'd both believe that something great was going to happen that next day at school. But after about the fourth week, her friends at school were no closer to accepting Jesus, and we were kind of frustrated. So I asked her what her friends liked to do, and she said, they like to party. So I said, well, let's go to the party. Neither of us had been to many parties before, so when we got there and there were so many people spilling out of the house, we knew that it wouldn't be a very open place to share about Jesus. 
so where do young girls go when they don't know what else to do? Yeah, we went to the bathroom. We made, we decided we would make a cross out of toilet paper and we laid it against the toilet seat and we knelt before the toilet and prayed for each one of those people at the party. And then when we were all done, we just hightailed it out of there. (laughs) The next week, we did the same thing. We found out where the party was and then crashed it and then went directly to the bathroom, made a cross of toilet paper and prayed. We must have gone to about four or five parties before we got caught. One of our friends found us on our knees in front of the porcelain throne, and we were so embarrassed. But my friend told her what we were doing, and she didn't laugh. Instead, she came that night to our Friday night youth group and our prayer and praise service, and she brought all of her friends. And it was amazing. It was really cool. After I got my driver's license, once a week I would leave my house at 4.30 in the morning and go around town and pick up about five junior high girls. Sometimes we would do a Bible study, and sometimes one of the girls would just need to talk. We prayed a lot together, and I know that God heard us. I'm not on Facebook, but Wayne is, and a couple of times a year he will tell me about one of the girls that had messaged him. They mention how much they have fond memories of that time. Just a couple of weeks ago, Wayne and I were just at Five Mile at a barbecue, and one of the girls, now a mother of a Marine was there, and it was really great sharing those memories of her early morning Bible studies. Mary Alice used to say that I was her spiritual daughter, and that I was making her spiritual granddaughter, grand, making her a spiritual grandmother. I'm sure by now she has spiritual great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. It seems since becoming a Christian, I have always had a group or even just one or two kiddos that I have been able to care and nurture in the Word and tell them about Jesus, whether it was at church or at work. I've had the pleasure of working at a junior high for the last eight years, In each year, I ask the Lord to send me those kiddos that he chooses for me to speak into. When Colby was in junior high, I had an office right off the lunchroom all by myself. There were many opportunities to love on Colby's friends. Of course, all my TAs I consider fair game, and I don't hesitate to speak about Jesus and ask them hard questions. I get them for 55 minutes a day. I love listening to them and encouraging them when they have struggles. Our school has everyone meeting in the lunchroom before school starts, and then they go to uh, their class and locker about 7.05. So for about 20 minutes after they get to school, I have a special group that would come into my office. One year, it was some of the cheerleaders. I would lure them in by having smelly lotions and a mirror so they could primp and do all their hair before class. I put a sticker on their mirror that says, you are beautiful just the way you are. I'd help them with their hair and remind them not to roll their skirts up and make them shorter. I would talk to them about why we don't do that. I talked to them about how beauty comes from the inside and about how to treat each other and their moms and that they really didn't need that second coat of eyeliner. It is still surprising to me how much teenagers will open up to you if you're just accessible to them and have an open door to share with them about Jesus and then just listen. One year I had a group of what I very lovingly called my nerds. My principal had noticed that my room was a kind of safe haven and asked if a shy boy could come sit with me. The lunchroom had made him anxious. So I changed up the smelly lotion and talk of short skirts and eyeliner to candy and breakfast bars and video games. I didn't t- it didn't take long before he asked if his friend could come along too. And pretty soon I had an office full of shy boys that the lunchroom made nervous. And wouldn't you know, but those boys opened up more than the girls did. Pretty soon they were encouraging each other in their schoolwork and talking about what to do with the bullies and asking one another how it was going at home. One of the boys lived with his grandpa. His grandpa was very ill, and when the boy came in one morning and told us that his grandpa had died and he'd have to go live with some relatives, 
all of us huddled around together and cried with him. He's doing great now, though, because he joined the ROTC group up at the high school, and he plans to join the service next year. They were a bit awkward and a lot sweet. One day, I must have been in a hurry to get to work, and I had on black slacks, black, black slacks and black shoes with white socks. And every time I took a step, I wanted to cover up my socks. I turned to the boys and pulled up my slacks to show them my white socks and said, Look what I did. I'm so embarrassed that I have white socks on. And I... I, I Anyway, they all stood up, and then they pulled up their pant legs. They had black socks, slacks, and they said, don't be embarrassed, so do we. <laughs> I could go on and on and tell you about Anne-Marie and Chris, and then there's Mary at work and some of the, the gals there, but um, I think my time is up. My goal in sharing with you is about, about my experiences is that I hope you can grab a hold of the idea that discipleship can be as easy as just sharing where you are with Jesus. I think as we practice kaleo, being called to generosity, being called to care and to serve, that we can, can't help but become one who is being poured into and pouring out of the love of Jesus. Come on. Yeah. Awesome. So good. I love that. Just the, the experience of being a Paul and being a Timothy. I, I love the idea visually to think about it, that we are part of this discipleship chain that started with Jesus 2000 years ago. And I always love to tell people that I hang out with and maybe I'm in a, a, a defined mentoring session, like where I'm meeting with you once a week for a couple of months. I say, if you do not share with somebody else, if you don't find someone else to pour into, I'm not going to meet with you anymore. Because you are a waste of my time because you just broke the chain that's been going on for 2,000 years by keeping it all to yourself and not sharing it with somebody else. Does that make sense a little bit? So we're called to make disciples. Called to make disciples. But how do we do it? I think she gave you some wonderful examples there. But again, for whatever reason, you still, you might be sitting here and you think, you know, but discipleship, it's something that the church does, right? It's something that can happen in the class or in the Bible study. And absolutely, that's a part of it. But as Cindy has shown so well, there's so much more to it. And I want to make it as simple as I can this morning, where you could be a second grader in here this morning. You could leave here and go, I have been called to make disciples. I'm going to go to my class and I'm going to disciple the kids around me. I want us to get truly rid of all of the excuses that we put up and show how simple this can be. At its simplest form, making disciples, it starts with you introducing someone to Christ and then helping that person to become more like Christ, where they become a learner, a follower, of Christ. It's that simple. Introduce someone to Christ and help them become more like Christ. I want you to write a couple of things down if you're taking notes. Number one thing is you can make disciples by your example. Very, very simple. If you want to put Philippians 3.17 up on the screen, I, I want us to say this together. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. He says, follow my example. This is Paul speaking. Follow my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Otherwise, observe, take note of those who are actually living this life, the obedient life of following the teachings of Jesus. I want you to follow them. For Mary and I, when we got married, we began to observe other couples that we admired, like my parents who are here this morning, like Pastor Mike and Tisa Mead in Spokane, as well as other strong Christian couples that God had placed in our life. And we watched how they interacted with each other, how they treated each other, how they loved each other. We needed a lot of help when we first got married. Our marriage started off pretty rocky. It was hard. And we realized that we needed to start kind of just 
needing help. We needed help. We needed help. And so we began to observe others, tried to live according to the patterns, to the patterns that others had set in their own lives. And we began to just observe them and to follow them. It profoundly helped our marriage. Watching my parents, watching Mike and Tisa. In fact, Mike and Tisa, this is beautiful. They took Mary and I. A young newlywed couple, they took us to Missoula, Montana, to a love and respect conference. If you've ever heard of love and respect, an amazing conference. Took us all the way out there, had our first famous Dave's barbecue. And it was an incredible experience, a profound impact on our marriage. And and you can have the same effect on others. You can, as you just do your own life. I get it, you're not perfect. But as you grow closer to Christ, you can be an example. That's why I love what Paul tells the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 11, 1. I want you to say it with me. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Say it again. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's saying, try to be like me like, as I try to be like him. Try to be like me as I try to be like him. The Greek word translated there is mimites. It literally means to follow, to imitate. So if you don't think you're good at discipling someone, here you go. Just be a good example of Christ to others. In my own life, I have learned so much by just following the example of other Christians in my life. Pastor Doug Bursch, Pastor Mike Mead, Pastor Chad Skilpor. They've been my three pastors while I've been a part of the four square denomination. I served under Doug for four years, Mike for six years, and served under Chad for two years. And I mimitated them. I imitated them. I watched them. I studied them. I watched how they dressed. I watched how they led. I watched how they read the Bible. I watched how they prayed. I watched how they taught. They were my spiritual mentors, the ones who discipled me. And the biggest way that I learned from them was that I observed them. Those of you that are parents, you need to hear this. One of your greatest callings in your life will be to disciple your children. That's what you are here to do. Now, if you look at what most parents do, you think the most important thing is to make them this amazing and great dancer before they're eight or an incredible athlete before they're six or even to be these incredible students who excel in algebra and Spanish and French. And those things can be very positive. In fact, I would encourage you to give your kids those opportunities. But that's not your main job as a parent. Parents, you might not like this, but your role is to make disciples of your children. Disciples who follow Christ. That's your role. Not the church's job. It's your job. Now, we are here to partner with you. We are here to help you. Sure, bring them to Salt Youth Group. Yes, bring them to Sunday Morning Children's Church. But even better than that, you get involved in Salt. You get involved in Children's Church. You get involved in their spiritual life throughout the week. Get involved in spiritually discipling your children. I mean, what could be more important than doing this discipling in your week than that? I mean, I want to encourage you, pour into their lives, because they will imitate what you see. (laughs) Right? Come on. And if you don't disciple them... Somebody will. We have learned that the hard way several times in our own, with our own kids. If we don't disciple them, somebody will. They're going to imitate who? They're going to imitate culture. They're going to imitate what they see on the Internet or what they see on TV. You ever watch something on TV that was kind of inappropriate and then the next morning you saw your kid imitate what they saw the night before? Ah, right? They're going to imitate somebody. And right now, in many Christian homes, what the children are imitating is the culture and the world that they live in. Even though we know as Christians, as adults, that we are not supposed to look like the world, right? Do not be conformed to the patterns of the world. 
But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Parents, if our kids look like the world, if they imitate culture, it's partly because we are not discipling them to not be of this world. Again, I've been challenged by this a lot over this past year because I want my children to see and imitate a godly home. That means I want my daughters to see how I treat Mary, that I would lay down my life for Mary as Christ laid down his life for the church because I want my daughters, listen to this, I don't want them to settle for anything less than a godly man who would do the same for them. And I want Chevin to see that example as well. I want our kids to see us living and trying to live beneath our means financially, understanding that things and possessions aren't what make you happy. I want them to see us trying to live a debt-free life where we're not in bondage to the things of this world, by the way, because we are not of this world. And I want them to see that we create margin in our lives so that we can be radical givers. And I'm not talking about 10% givers, but above and beyond, because I want them to see that the things of this world are not what matter to us. And I want want them to see me praying. I want them to see me with my Bible open, because I want to be that kind of example. Now, I'm not perfect in all this. In fact, I have a long ways to go, but this is the call of God on my life. Quick story. Tuesday afternoon, it was just me and Ava, and we're at the house, and there were some neighbors across the street, and they were just going at it. They're lighting each other up, using all kinds of words, yelling and screaming at the top of their lungs. It was awful. And I don't know why, but Ava and I went on the back deck to check it out. It was just whatever. We did that neighbor thing. But then I'm like, well, we got we to gotta remove ourselves from this. So we came back in and, and I went to, to Ava. And I said, Ava, we need to pray for them. And so we held each other's hands. I got down on my knees and we just asked Jesus to remind them how much that he loves them, that they don't have to fight with each other and that truly that Jesus was there to be able to help them. So we prayed this prayer. And after we got done praying, Ava runs back outside and she listens. And guess what? They had stopped yelling. They had stopped yelling. And so she's so excited. She runs back in. Daddy, daddy. They stopped yelling. And that night when we're we're praying for dinner, I asked her to pray for our dinner. And guess what? She thanked Jesus for helping those people to stop yelling at each other. That was a powerful lesson for me. That what I model to my little Ava, the example that I set, that it matters. And parents, that's your calling. And I believe you can do this for every one of us. Whether you're a parent or not, you can make disciples by your example as you become more like Christ. And then that leads me to the second way that you can make disciples. If you're taking notes, one, by your example. Two, with your words. With your words. The words that you speak. Deuteronomy 3.28. God tells Moses this. He says, but commission Joshua... And do what? He says, and encourage. And what else? And strengthen him. Encourage and strengthen him. For he will lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land that you will see. Disciple him. Encourage him. Strengthen him. With your words, tell him what he can become. Speak life into him. Did you know that with your words, you can encourage and strengthen those around you? One of my Pauls in my life is Pastor Chad. Pastor Chad, when I first came to this church, I had come from a very large church in Spokane where we led four services every weekend. And I was the music worship pastor, but I was also the creative arts director. I'm in charge of everything that's going on during the service. And we had to plan it out to the second in order to make sure we had enough time to get all the people in and all the people out for four services. And then I came here and I began to operate in much the same fashion as I did in Spokane. And I remember uh, Pastor Chad, he was very encouraging. And I remember him saying, Dan, I love what you're doing. The, the worship songs, they sound good. You're hitting all the right notes. You're singing all the right melodies. But, but Dan, you need to relax. Dan, I, I think you need to let there be more freedom in your worship. And of course, I'm like, seriously? 
And, and I remember what he told me. He said, yeah. He goes, if you want to lead other people into the freedom in their worship, you first have to be free in yours. And he was so right. And because of that one conversation with my Paul, now when I lead worship, I kind of leave with a reckless abandon. And there's a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of freedom that I never had before. In fact, some of you wish I would put some of that freedom back into the bag. I get that. But the freedom is there because I had a Paul. Someone who would speak into my life from his wisdom and his experience. For you this morning, there are areas that you are wise in and you need to encourage others with your wisdom. Now, I notice I didn't say use your wisdom to discourage and to weaken which I've had my share of wise people speaking to my life where I just felt hurt, discouraged, and depressed. But you can speak encouragement and strength into other lives. You can do that. It doesn't have to be a formal class. Just as you go, as you do life, you make disciples. And you can even do it with words. That's discipling. It's that easy. As you go, as you do life, you make disciples with your actions and your words. And let me say this is. As I close, I want you to hear this. If you're not making disciples, I would just ask the question, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Because when you know, when, like when you, when you really know him, like we were talking about in worship, when you've truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good, when you've fallen in love with the lover of your soul, when you've experienced rescue, when you've been saved and experienced eternal life, you can't keep that to yourself. You can't. When he's really changed your life, when you are truly a disciple, it's just going to come naturally. It's going to be the overflow of your life. You are going to make disciples. It's just part of who you are. Again, just a quick story. This last Thursday, I'm driving away from here. I had a meeting with Adam, and I'm driving that way, and there's a lady walking on the street. And um, I, I, I drove past her. She was walking this way, going down the hill. And I felt like the Lord said, Dan, you need to give her a ride. And I'm like, ooh, you know. But he said, yeah, give her a ride. Turned around, pulled out to the side of the road. Ma'am, do you need a ride somewhere? And she goes, yes, actually, I do. Um, so we, of course, we talked and I talked a lot about the Lord and talked about our services and she needed a job. I told her, well, come by service 845 or 11. Give me the resume. I'll see what I can do. And those kind of things. And we were talking about her husband and her four kids. And, and we talked a while because she was going to walk. If you know where this is on the main street, past the main street Safeway that's heading towards Sumner. That's where she was heading to is these apartments down there. So we got all the way down there and I was like, God bless you. And she said, God bless you church that's what we've been called to it if if we want to take this and i do but if we want to take this whole thing to the next level i'm, I'm just seriously just if we could stop playing the game and take this to the next level what god is calling us to do in this community we all need to engage in that kind of thing where our eyes are just open and yeah if do you think I even wanted to do that. No, I had a busy day. I, I, it was not on the agenda. And a lot of times I don't do it, right? The Lord tells me to do it. I just say, no, I'm not going to do it. But if we could all engage at this level in discipleship, not just on Sunday mornings, not just at the Life Tracks class, please go to the tra- tra- Life Tracks class. But if we could engage Monday through Sunday, interacting with actual other human beings, your coworkers, your family, your classmates, at this one-on-one level of discipleship making, through our actions and through our words, we could change this community. We really could. For the kingdom of God, for the cause of Christ. But it's all about these relationships. It's about doing life together. But you truly have a choice, a choice whether you're going to live that way or not. And again, you could say, you know, Pastor Dan, that's all good and all, but I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I think I'm doing just fine. Right? I don't need all that discipleship stuff. 
And I just say, one, I am honestly, I'm very happy that you have a personal relationship with Jesus. Praise the Lord. But I just say this. It's supposed to be personal, not private. Personal, not private. It was always meant to be shared. You are called by God to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would answer that call this morning. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? God, would you stir up this church? Stir us up to be faithful to you, God, to answer this call to make disciples. As we pray this morning, and, and truly as we pray, some of you I know, you recognize your need for a Paul in your life. You need someone to speak into your life. You want to be great. You need that spiritual mentoring. You need leadership, discipling. You need someone to help you with the Bible. You need someone to help you be a better parent, a better mom, a better husband. You need someone to help you be better at your work. You need a Paul in your life speaking into your life. And those of you that would say, God, send me a Paul. Send me someone to make me better, to make me more like Christ. Would you just raise your hands right now? All over this place. Amen. Go ahead and put them down. Now, there's others of you that you, you might say, or maybe it's the same one. Just saying, you know what? I, I, I didn't see it before, but obviously this morning I see that God has put something in me. And I'm really not using that to invest in the next generation. I'm really not pouring out my life into somebody else. God, forgive me. God, send me a Timothy. God, send me someone to invest in. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Oh, I love that. That's my favorite one right there. Amen. Put your hands down. I'm going to pray for everyone that raised their hands. God, give us the courage to seek out some Pauls. Those people that are wiser, more like Christ, more knowledgeable in your word, better leaders, better parents. God, humble us. Show us those people, God, that we'd have the courage to say, hey, can I learn from you? Can I observe? Can I watch? You've got something I want. Can you teach me? I want to submit myself to you. I want to follow your example as you follow Christ. God, give us in this room the courage to seek after a Paul. But God, I'd also say, please give us the courage to be a Paul. Give us the courage and the confidence, even when we don't feel like we're ready and we're not knowledgeable enough, good enough. Just give us the courage to recognize that there is a calling on us, God, that we can be used by you, God, to reach out to those who do not know you, just to rock across the gym, to reach out across the class, to build a bridge at work. God, give us the eyes to see those who do not know you. And God, give us a heart and a desire to intentionally disciple them. Break through the excuses even now, Lord. God, I pray for some of us in this room that we might be able to find a life group, a community that would be life transforming where we do life together. And a year from now we go, whoa, look at that. Look at what God has done as we disciple one another. God, bring us Paul's, bring us Timothy's that as we do life, as we do this life, as we go, we would make disciples and we would be discipling each other. As we continue to pray, again, all heads bowed. It just terrifies me to think that there are a lot of people in this world that call themselves Christians who truly are not. Just because you call yourself a Christian doesn't mean that you are. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. And when I think about the Christian community, often I don't see a lot of self-denial. It seems a lot more like self-absorption. But Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you take up your cross. That means you die to yourself. You die to this world. You are not of this world. You are different. You are crucified. You follow Jesus. It means Jesus is your rabbi, your master, your savior. He's your teacher. He's your Lord. And you want to be like him. Yet often what I see in this world is the people that want to be like the world and not like Jesus. But if you're following Jesus, here's the truth. You do not look like the world. You've got different values. You've got different things on your heart, different things that compel and drive you. This world is not your home. You are different. And if you're not different, then ask the question, are you following this world or are you following Jesus? And if you're not following Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, just say this simple prayer in your heart. Jesus, forgive me. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. 
and I want to follow you. The powerful thing is, Jesus, he was without sin, yet he died for your sins. He forgave you. He, it's as if you have never sinned before because he will forgive you of all your sins. And he will fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can live that life that is impossible to live without him. You can live a new life where you obey him, where you can learn from him, where you can overcome your sin, find victory in him as you follow him. You can be like him. And maybe you're in this room this morning and you realize I am not a disciple of Jesus, but in my heart, I want to be. I want to be your disciple, that you are ready to turn from your sin and turn to him. Where Jesus would be your teacher, your Lord, your Savior, your rabbi, your master. Where you would surrender all of your life to him. Where it's not about you, but it's about him. Where you would give all that you have to Jesus. And if that's your prayer this morning, would you lift up your hands? Amen. I want to see you. Will you look me? I want to give eye contact. Yeah, I see you. Absolutely. I see you. Absolutely. Anybody else? Yes, man. Absolutely. Anybody else? I saw three of you. If if you don't think I saw you, go ahead and raise your hand again. I see you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's just pray, all of us together. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Jesus. Be my Savior, my teacher, my rabbi, my Lord. I give my life completely to you. It's not my own. It's yours. Now, before I go on, I just, I'm going to, I want to do another part of this prayer. And for some of you, maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, but this is a prayer that is truly a life of surrender, a life of discipleship. Say this after me. I am your disciple. I am your student. I am your follower. Make me like you. Take my whole life. And thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Will we just celebrate the Lord? Celebrate who He is? Thank you, God. It is an honor to be your disciple. It is an honor to be your follower. To learn from you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.